Father, as we sing those words, Lord, we give you our heart. It moves us. It's a desire. But, oh, Father, how to make that happen. We desire to give you our heart. We desire to give you our lives. And yet, so often, we move you from the throne of authority. And we take the reins ourselves. And we move you outside and try to rule our own lives. Not looking to you, not looking to your word, not looking to your spirit, not looking to your heart, but thinking that we know better. And then we find ourselves just in this downward spiral. And again, we come back to you. And you pick us back up out of the mire. You bring us back to the rock that is you, Jesus. And there there's clarity there. There's an understanding. But Father, it is our desire to give you our hearts. We do ask, Lord, that this morning you'd speak that truth to us, that you would encourage us with it. And you would, Father, um, let us know that it's possible. Because with you, Lord, all things are possible. And that what becomes our desire would become a reality. So speak to us. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. We open our lives to the, to the speaking of your spirit. So as we've asked for ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, knit us now to your heart, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Saints, if you would, please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. As we find ourselves in 1 Samuel, last Wednesday, we went through chapter 16 in its entirety. As we looked at chapter 16, the message that we had on Wednesday, and if you haven't listened to it, it may be just a good word to grab a hold of because it really is that thing about taking the first step. Even though you might be a little bit terrified, take the first step. You may not know the end of where you're going, but take the first step. As you take the first step, God will continue to give you uh, a path to go on. It's a path that's going to be for his glory. It's going to be a path that goes closer to his heart. But this morning, we're not going to be developing that. This morning, we're going to be looking at verse 7 within that text. And verse 7, I think, is important for us. The reason I believe that verse 7 is so important is because Samuel was an incredible man of God. Samuel was powerful. Samuel was honest. Samuel had integrity. And yet this is really this one time that God actually has to correct Samuel. And I'm thinking if God had to correct this man of God, then maybe we have a little bit of that tendency. And so if Samuel has it where he needs to be corrected, maybe there's something we can learn from it as well. I know that as I started pondering through and praying through this text that God begin to give me tangent after tangent after tangent. And so I'm going to give you an apology right off the bat because I'm giving to you this morning maybe 10, 15% of everything that God has showed me. I could make a series, a series out of this message, but I won't. That was for me. Sorry. I'm just going to be selfish here and take that, that 85, 90% because it was just this amazing study. But the good news is, is this. If you've ever been to a farm and you've seen how when you get a gallon of milk, good milk, that what happens is this. If you leave it in your fridge for just long enough, the good stuff, the cream, comes to the top. Well, this morning, you guys get the cream. You get the good stuff. So of everything that God showed me, the very best of it has risen to the top, and I believe that that's what he has for us here this morning. So as we look at this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16, our text is in verse 7. It simply declares this, but the Lord said to Samuel. Now, 
Remember, Samuel has just saw the sons of Jesse. And as he sees them, God says, listen, I'm going to anoint for myself a king. I've rejected Saul. I'm going to anoint for myself a king of the sons of Jesse. And the first one that comes out, the oldest, is Eliab. And he looks at him and he says, ah, man, another amazing specimen of a man. He could be there on the cover of GQ. He's got to be the leader. And, and yet what God does is this. When, when, when he says, when Samuel goes, to the Lord, surely the anointed of the Lord is before the Lord. God says this in verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks out the, at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, he saw this outward. He saw the outward man. He saw the outward of, of, wow, this man looks like a leader. But as we delved into it on Wednesday, and as we're going to develop it more next Wednesday, as we saw the heart of Eliab as he just ripped on his little brother. His heart was one that was petty. His heart was one that was jealous. His heart was one that, that didn't care for the well-being. He was just cruel in his thoughts and his heart. And God said, I see that heart. And I would not want that heart that was revealed to his younger brother, to someone who he felt was lesser than him, to be in the next king. Why? Because the next king would feel that everybody was lesser than him. And he could have that attitude. David was something different. And I love what God does to Samuel because directly into this portion, and, and usually when that term but comes up, it's usually from a good to a bad. It's, it's going from a high spot to a low spot. But here, what God does in this text, he brings Samuel from a low spot into a high spot. So he says, this has got to be the Lord's anointed. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel. See, there's a correction here. And I love the fact that as Samuel can be corrected, we also can receive this. He said, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Don't look at, at, at how amazing he looks. Don't look like, you know, that he's tall like John Wayne or something like that. That's not what I'm looking at. Don't, don't compare that. Don't look at the outward. He says, I have refused him. I already know his heart. He says, man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And so what happens is this, this word, this passage is like a two-sided coin. You got one side heads and tails the other. Now, now keep in mind that to some, this word is going to be a word of correction. And I think it's important because if anyone is like the Pharisees, they're content with the simple outward demonstration of righteousness. They would always do what they did to be seen, even though their heart wasn't right with God. They didn't see God. They sought the approval of men. They sought that, that men would see the outward. And, and so what happens is, is when you want people to see the outward, men might be impressed, but God never will be. And I love it when Jesus was speaking to the people. He gave them a warning in Matthew 23, 27. He said, listen, these, these Pharisees are like the whitewashed tombs. He told the Pharisees, you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed they appear beautifully outwardly. Outwardly, you may look amazing, but on the inside is full of dead men bones and uncleanness. 
He was speaking to them about spiritual hypocrisy. You want an outward look, but the inward isn't there. And that's the problem with so much of the church today is we want people to see us more spiritual than what we really are. Are you aware that there with the birth of the church, the first sin that was inward, God had to deal with in a radical, radical way. And that's what God does whenever there's something new in the scripture and there's sin in that something new, God deals with it in a radical way. And it was no different with the birth of the church. There in the birth of the church, Acts chapter 5, you guys know of the couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now what happened was this, they just wanted people to think that they were more spiritual than what they really were. Now they were spiritual, they, 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 they sold some property, they gave it to, you know, the, the part of the, the income to the church, that wasn't the sin, the sin was that they wanted people to think, listen, I sold the property, I'm giving him everything. Look at how amazing I am. Look at how spiritual I am. Well, that hypocrisy God judged. Ananias fell down dead. Later on, his wife, Sapphira, when he, did you sell it for them? Oh, yeah, yeah, just for that much. He said, behold, the feet of those that carried out the husband, they're about to carry you out. Spiritual hypocrisy. And all it is is wanting people to think that you're more spiritual than what you know you really are on the inside. Why? Because we want people to see us at our best. We don't want them to see us at, at, at how we see us or how our spouse knows we are and how God definitely knows we are. We want them to see us as something more. And I love what happens because here, what Samuel is finding out, he's looking at this person on the outward thinking it is something more. And God said, wait a second. I'm not worried about the outward. I'm looking at the inward. I'm not wanting to have spiritual hypocrisy or hypocrisy in any way. The only truth of a man is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside, what's on the heart. And so keep in mind that this is a word of correction. It's a word of correction. When you say man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, you can fool some of the people some of the time. Or if it's me, you can fool me all the time. That's easy to do, but you cannot fool God any of the time. And, and God's going to look at what you do outwardly. He's going to look at what your heart is. What is the intent of your heart? And that's why it's so important to be praying that prayer, singing that song, Lord, change my heart. Oh, change my heart, oh God. And so on one side of the coin, it's a warning to those who have that mindset of the Pharisees. That mindset to say, I just want you to think that I'm more spiritual than what I really know I am. The other side is this, and I love the other side because the other side means this, that you might not be noticed by those around you. You might not be noticed by your family. You might not be noticed by the church, the things that you do and how you do it. And keep in mind that you may be serving and serving and serving and there's no recognition coming at all. But guess what? God sees. Do you understand how important that is? See, sometimes what happens when we're serving God, we get frustrated, we get bent out of shape. Why? Because I'm not appreciated and my ministry isn't appreciated with as much time as I put in and what I do and how I do it. Why don't they see what I do? 
Well, you can be like a Pharisee and really make sure the outward is noticed, or you can do what? You cannot worry about it. Why? Because God sees. When you recognize that God sees, I don't need the praise of men. Why? Because the praise of men is fickle. They're going to praise you today, and then they're not going to praise you tomorrow. They're going to say, oh, this is good. That's not so good. And, and so keep in mind that, that men are going to look at the outward. Men are going to, but God only sees the heart, and he will see your heart. And so when you do something that is glorifying him, he's going to see it. But when you come and you say, I've done this, and I've done it in a way to glorify you, and I'm not getting recognition, then God says, well, that's the intent. Do you understand? You're not doing it for my glory. You're doing it for the recognition. That's the heart of a Pharisee. And that's why I love this passage because it shows the two sides of a coin. If you're doing things to be noticed, if you're doing things so that people will see you, if you do things that people would recognize how spiritual you are, you're in error. But if you do it only unto the Lord, and if nobody nobody around you notices and you're not drawing anyone's attention by the things that you're doing. Guess what? People only see the outward. And, and a lot of times they're going to look at the outward of who you are, how you look. And then the other thing is you're going to do is this is, is there's a, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like on YouTube or something, there was something, uh, a phenomena that happened back in like 2009, I think. It was, a, it was a TV show, and it was called Britain's Got Talent. And there was this lady by the name of Susan Boyle. I don't know if you've ever seen her video. It was her, her first audition there on, on that TV show. And, and so what happened was this. She walked out, and she was kind of middle-aged. She was probably in her 50s or something, and she wasn't overly kept. She wasn't doctored up. She was just this average-looking lady, and she was a little bit nervous. Kind of her, her, her initial thing was a little bit different, and she said, I'm going to sing for you. And then she said, I'm going to sing, and I don't remember the name of the song, but it was a complicated song. It was an amazing song, and, and they panned to the audience and the judges, and they're like, okay, go ahead. And they judged her. They judged her from her appearance. They judged her from her initial actions because they, they, they saw her kind of goofy and it's like, okay, you're going to be one of those. And then she opened her mouth and she began to sing. And what was amazing is one of the judges actually apologized to her, making the statement, you came out initially and we, we were not thinking of anything. The audience judged you. I judged you. I was wrong. You opened your mouth and beauty came out. And it's one of those things that that's how people live. They judge from the outward appearance. But, and, and they judge from her initial actions, too. She was nervous. She hadn't even started singing yet. The, the, the coming up and, and saying hi wasn't her act. It was just her nerves. Her act was her singing. And it was amazing. And she became the, this, this phenomenal internet sensation that the people just said, wow, check this out, check this out. And I think it's important. Don't judge. Don't judge by an outward appearance. Don't judge by the initial act. And this is what I love about God because people judge by the outward appearance. People judge by how your actions are. God, and I love this about God, he judges from the intent of your heart. Not always how it came out, but what was your heart initially? Is your heart to glorify him? Is your heart to stay humble before him? And I love the fact that what God begins to do is this. He says, I love the fact that it's in your heart. You might not be able to perfect it in the way that you, you want. You want to glorify me, but you're going to do it what? You're going to do it in your flesh, and then I'm going to correct you. 
but it was good because you wanted to glorify me. Try it again. And you do it again. It's like, I didn't kind of work out that way. Said, That's okay. Because guess what? The blood of Christ covers those things. But what you want to do is, is it the intent of your heart to want to do it to a way that glorifies God? There's a passage, and I just want to share it with you. You don't have to turn there, but it's, it's found in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18. Let me read it, read it to you, because in, in, it's, it's just a, a, a great word to understand what's, what's happening, is when David wants to build a temple for the Lord, and he wants to do this. I want to do something for you. And God says, guess what, David? You can't. You can't do it for me. You got blood on your hands. You want to, but you can't. But this is what God says to David. And I love the fact he says in 1 Kings 8.18, But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple. Do you understand what God does? God looks at the intent of the heart. And, and I am so grateful that he doesn't look at the result in the actions. Because when you have a desire to see him glorified, you have a desire to grow and to be humble and to let your life become this, God, I want to be your vessel. You do what you need to do through me and teach me and guide me. And, and I'm so grateful that when I fall on my face again and again and again, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers that. You don't look at my failures. You look at the intent of my heart. This is why, understand, David failed more than Saul. But the intent of his heart was what? Uh, I got to make it right with you. I just want to be right with you. With everything else, and I can try to hide my sin for over a year. My bones will wax cold. But eventually, when you show me my sin, I'm not going to point at you, and I'm not going to point at someone else. I'm going to just accept it and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I deserve everything that you have. And God gave him the punishment. He told David, he says, listen, David, because of this sin that you did, the sword will never leave your house. Never leave your house. And guess what? David accepted those consequences, walked through those consequences, and continued to say, God, even in the midst of all these things that are happening, I want my life to give you glory. Man after God's own heart. This is where he's at. This is what he's done. And I think it's so important to realize that this passage here, as far as men look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. What do you want people to see? Do you want them to see this more spiritual than what you really are? Do you want them to see how spiritual you really are? Or do you want God to see it and God to understand it? And even though people see my failures and people see, oh, wow, you know, you quoted that verse wrong or you, 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 you did something wrong here, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But when the intent of the heart is, God, I want to glorify you. That's what this passage is all about. Men look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Understand, he doesn't say he doesn't just judge the actions. He judges the heart. And we're going to see that what he does is this. It's the heart, how that acts, that's what he judges. But when the heart is one way and the actions don't line up, he judges what? Still judges the heart. See, God looks at the heart, and I love this about the Lord, because in my desire to grow spiritually, there are times I'm going to think, maybe I'm in the spirit. Maybe God is guiding me, and then he shows me, 
Nope, Lowell, that was all you. Oops, that didn't work out the way I thought it was, but it wasn't. And guess what? I get to grow. I get to grow in grace. I get to grow through the grace because the actions may not always be what my intent is, but keep in mind, keep that intent. Keep that intent to be, God, keep me humble. Keep me looking to you. Keep me trusting in you. Keep me worshiping you. I want all those things in my life. And if that's the case, then guess what? I can fail. I can fail in worship. I can fail in trusting. I can fail in my service of him. And it's still okay. Why? Because God is judging my intent. Isn't that amazing? This is so powerful a passage that I hope we can grasp what it is that God wants us to have here today. If you'd written down that one passage that I shared with you as far as just Solomon saying to David, you know, he says, listen, you, you wanted to build this temple. You can't build this temple, but you did well that it was in your heart. A little further on in that passage in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, what happens is this, that Solomon is giving this, this um, prayer as he's going to be dedicating the temple. As he does, he says this in verse 39 of 1 Kings 8. Listen to it as I read it to you. Then, as he's speaking to God, he says this, Here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the heart of all the sons of men. Absolutely amazing that as he is saying this prayer, as a temple is to be dedicated, he says, I want you, Lord, to do this. Give to everyone according to their ways. In other words, allow them to reap what they've sown. If you're, if, you're, if you're sowing to the flesh, let them reap corruption. If you're sowing to the spirit, let them reap everlasting life. Give to the men the truth of who they are. Don't, don't try to candy coat it. Don't, don't pat me on the back when I need to be disciplined. Don't try to make me better than what I am. God, allow your light and your truth to be in my heart that I know exactly who I am. Why? Because when I'm not deceived before you or when I'm not deceived in my heart, when I'm not deceived in my mind, then I can truly seek you for the path that you have for me. But when I'm deceived, I think, I'm fine, Lord. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your leading. I don't need your word. I don't have to trust in you. I trust in me. In Lowell, I trust. Bad idea. In my heart, I trust. Worse idea. Don't do that. In God, we trust. And I think it's so important that you do what? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Only him. Not, not us. But as we come to this, I think it's so important that, that as, as Samuel is saying this dedication to the temple, I want you to give to everyone according to their ways. And then he says, for you alone. Do you understand that? I don't know my heart. My heart is deceitful, wicked. It deceives me. My brain deceives me. My flesh deceives me. All these things deceive me. His word, the truth of his word will never deceive me if, if. I, like James, when I look at the word and I put my face to the mirror, I remember what the word points back at me. I remember what it shows me of my heart and of my life and of those areas of hypocrisy. But when I walk away and I forget what I've seen, natural man, carnal man. It's important to let his word do that. And that's why I love, he says, listen, you need to just 
Give everyone according to his ways. Don't candy coat it. Be honest with me. Be honest with us. Who we are and how we are and where we are in our walk. Don't let us be spiritual hypocrites. And you know what? If, if I'm not living up to the standard that you want, I'm sorry. But guess what? You're not living up to the standard that God wants either. All of us fail. But here's the thing. We go to grace. And, and the, the amazing thing is this, that eventually I'm going to stand before God. And you guys will not be in the cheering section. And you won't be in the naysay section either. That I'll have no cheers. I'll have no, uh, yeah, Lord, he's good. Oh, no, Lord, he's not. There's no one. There's just me and God. And guess what? God has looked at my heart. And he's honest to what he sees. And I don't have to deal with anyone else except, God, am I glorifying you? Am I being obedient to you? And so when we come to this, I love the fact that he alone knows the hearts of the sons of men. No other man does. Do you understand that when Solomon is saying that you give to guys the reality of what their life is, allow them to really reap what they're sowing so that they know they're tested. Allow them to be tested so that they're not living in hypocrisy, that they're not deceived. And I think that's the greatest growth that we can do. And as we see this, it's just a beautiful mindset that what happens is this. When, when David was giving a charge to Solomon, as he was wanting Solomon to grow and to mature and to be the king that God had called him to be, God through the Spirit, makes this declaration. If you're a note taker, jot it down, 1 Chronicles 28.9. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, it's a beautiful passage, but I want to share it for you. David makes this statement, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, know the God that I serve, he says this, and serve him with a loyal heart, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches the hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. It's a scary statement, but a beautiful statement all at the same time. Again, two sides of a coin. And, and I love what, what David says to Solomon. He says, you have to understand... Look to him, seek him, go after him, because what happens is God searches the heart and he searches the intent of the thoughts. God searches the hearts and he understands all the, the, the intents of the heart. But I think it's so important that when you realize, God, you're searching my heart. You're searching my thoughts. Ponder for just a moment. Think about this, and I, I, I was blown away by this, and I'm hoping that I'm saying it in a way that you can grasp the fullness of what this, this thought process is. Think about this for just a second. What do you think is God's mind, his heart, his everyone? He searches your heart, and he finds himself. Can you imagine when your heart is just set on God? I'm just set on you. I'm set on you. I'm set on you. I want my heart to be And when he searches your, 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 your thoughts, he finds himself. Think about that. Ponder that. I was blown away. And then I, I had to put my Bible away, and I just had to pray for about, <laughs> it was a while. My Bible was there collecting dust because I was just repenting like, Lord, may you ever, if you search my thoughts, 
I can't imagine what your heart would be when you search my thoughts and you find you. When you search my heart and you find you. Lord, may that be what happens when you search my thoughts and search my heart. You find yourself that my thoughts are set on you. My heart is set on you. I hope that you would say, wow, this is a nice change. This is beautiful. I search your thoughts. I search your heart. and I find me. I'll tell you what, God searches the heart. And I don't think there's a greater form of worship. There's a greater form of praise or gratitude to God than when he searches my thoughts and he finds himself. And he searches my heart and he finds himself. I think it is just so important that, that, that we, we are to do what? We're to search. And, and I love the fact that, that God has made a declaration. And I want to read to you a passage. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, you guys know this. It, it's a passage that we quote often in, in church. But it declares this in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Do you realize that the God thinks about us? Oh my goodness, if you were able to actually think of the thoughts of God, guess what? You would find you. If you were able to think, look to the heart of God, you would find you. We're on his mind, we're in his heart. This is where God is there. Two passages, just jot them down. Don't turn there, you won't be as fast as I am. Stay here in Jeremiah chapter 29. But in Psalm 40, verse 5, it makes this statement. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Do you understand? His thoughts towards me can't be counted. In Psalm 39, verse 17 and 18, he makes this declaration about his thoughts. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Lord, your thoughts more numbered more than the sands. And I don't know if you've ever been on a beach and started counting sands. They're, they're, they're more. It's absolutely incredible. And now you don't go to one beach. You go to every beach. You, you go to every sand. That's the thoughts he has. Think about that. And then he says this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And all these thoughts that are more than the number of the sands. He says this. The thoughts are of peace and not of evil. You understand his constant heart is that we have peace, that we have comfort. What? That we're connected with him. That we have life. And that's what he wants from our minds. That's what he wants from our hearts. And I think it's so important. What are your thoughts towards him? I love it when Paul wrote to, Col to the church of Colossians, in, in, or to, to the church of Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, set your mind on things above. Think about the things. I love Paul said, I, I, I desire to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to know that. I want to know your work. I want to know your heart. I want to know your love. How much it's demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ. His payment for our sins. But this is what's amazing is that, that God, his thoughts are towards us. And then he says this, I'm the one who searches your heart. And when he searches our heart, will he find himself? 
when he searches our thoughts, will he find himself? Now, what God will do is this, and God is so faithful in this, just as Samuel said, Lord, give to men the things that they need. What God does is he tests. There's a passage, I just want to share it with you, found in in the the, the book of Psalms. And and in Psalms, um, chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. He tests us. Now, now, what does it mean that he tests us? Well, what, what he's going to do is this. He is going to show us who we are. The testing isn't for him. Like God's going to say, I'm going to test you to see if I really know what I know. No, God knows. The reason he's testing is this. He tests so that we know what he knows. And the reason and the way that he tests us so often is this. Remember when he was... Um, Declaring in Matthew 12, verse 34, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was sharing to them, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of the mouth is, is, is what is, is in your heart. And so he's going to test it. What is coming out of your mouth? What is, does grace come out? Does, does, does praise come out? Does hymns and psalms come out? Or does bitterness come out? Does judgment come out? Does, does anger come out? What comes out of the mouth? And God says, listen, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It would have been amazing if we would have been reading through like Proverbs 16. And as we go through Proverbs 16, it says in verse 23, the heart of the wise teaches the mouth. What a passage to be able to read early in the morning on Sunday before we begin our worship. Oh, by the fact, we did. It's so amazing. The heart of the wise, the heart teaches the mouth and adds learning to the lips. It's the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak whatever it is that's in your heart. So understand that God wants you and I to see the results of the test. And so often the results of the test that we see and actually that we hear is our speech. What comes out of your mouth? Well, what attitude comes out in your speech? And I think it's so important when we're looking at these things to note that what God desires is this. Speech Let your words be seasoned with grace, salt, edify the hearers. And I think it's so important to to look to the saints. And and, and granted, you're going to see some things. You're going to see certain mornings where, where I may come in and I may not be at my best. And you would think inside your mind, Lowell, you look tired. You look worn. You look weary. Do me a favor. Don't tell me what you see. I don't need to hear that on a Sunday morning. I don't need to hear that, wow, you, you don't even live up to my visual expectations. I hope the message works because if the message is like you look, it's going to stink. And you don't have to share that. But when you see that, what, pray for me. Pray for your brother. Pray for you. If you see something that seems out of sort, pray for them. This is the heart. You don't have to say anything, but keep in mind what comes out. Man, I, I see that you're not doing well. Your actions are horrible. Pray for me. Just pray for me. Because guess what? None of our actions ever line up to really what we want. We all fall short of the glory of God. But what happens is this. I know I'm going to fall short in, in, in the results, but you look at the intent. 
And I want to glorify you. I, I may fail in the attempt, but I really do. And I want you worshipped in my heart. And I want you there in my thoughts. And when, when you search my thoughts, I want you to see you. When you search my heart, I want you to see you. And what happens is this, God, please, please, please help my heart. Why? There's a passage. You guys know it. All I'm going to do is give you the reference. And as I start reading it, you're going to actually grasp that because it really deals with the speech and what we do. See, we don't always hear ourselves. We don't always recognize the, the attitude that comes through, the biting that comes through the speech, the sarcasm that comes through a word that we may say. But in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, it makes this statement, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Well, the answer is God. God knows our heart. He's the only one that knows the heart. But the heart is deceitful. And, and so often what happens is when I fail at an attempt, sometimes I let my heart lie to me. Oh, your heart was really good in this lull, but you just botched it. No, my heart was what? It was like, eh, I'll put this much effort into it. I'm not really putting in a lot of effort, but I'm putting in some effort. Think about this. You're praying. God has called you to pray. What kind of effort do you put into the prayer? you kind of like, oh, I'm going to just kind of talk to you a little bit here and there. And then you're not finding any movement in your prayers. And you wonder, well, why, why isn't God moving when I pray? Well, to what intensity are you praying? When you're looking to his word, you're like, I'm not really getting a lot out of it. Well, how much are you chewing on it? How much are you really wanting and praying? Say, God, give me this word and change my heart. The heart is deceitful. Sometimes I go through emotion and it's just that, it's emotion. But when I'm crying out to God and I'm wanting the prayer to be effective and I'm wanting the, the, the word to be effective, do you understand the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? It's one of those things where the prophet comes to the king and says, okay, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked. Take these arrows and strike them on the ground. He strikes three times and the prophet says, what are you doing? He was angry with the king. You should have struck him at five, six, seven. What kind of victory do you want? But like, okay, all right, if I got to do this, I got to do this. So I got to pray, I got to pray. If I got to read, I got to read. You understand? The heart is deceitful. And we wonder sometimes why our spiritual life is not effective is because this. We don't put in a lot of effort into the spiritual. We put more effort into the day-to-day -day physical. And, and when you feed the physical, granted, you have to do the physical. It's necessary. But you've got to do the spiritual. Why? We're spiritual beings. And if you want strength in your spirit, you got to feed your spirit. There's got to be an intent to feed the spirit through prayer and through the word. And then this is what's so important. The heart is deceitful. But in this passage, it makes a statement, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And then in verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to his thoughts. Absolutely amazing. I give to them according to the fruit of their doing. And then this, this is what, what God does. He gives us according to our ways. He says, whatever you do, I'm going I'm to honor that. What you sow, you're going to reap. And I think that's the key. And so within that, it's just one of those things where even when Jesus was writing to the, the seven churches there in, in Revelation uh, 2.23 to Thyatira, he made that statement. He said, I am the Lord who searches the minds and the heart, and I will give to you according to your works. I am going to give to you exactly what you are sowing. That's what you're going to reap. And here's the key. 
This message is not to be a downer. The message is actually meant to be something that, that will allow us to question, allow us to check on certain things. Because when you notice an issue in your heart, or if you aren't aware of that issue, you can, like David, say, God, search my heart. Search my heart. I, I give you the authority as God to, to reveal any hypocrisy that's in my life. Anything that I'm wanting people to think I'm more spiritual than what I really am. And if you find issues that aren't right, Think about this. If you find something, as I'm, as I'm sharing, and the Spirit may be showing you something that needs to be fixed, I want to give you this promise. This is a promise from God, a word. This isn't thus saith the Lord. This is the thus saith the Lord. In Psalm 51, verse 10, David makes a prayer, and it is a prayer that you have to understand is answered. Psalm 51, verse 10 makes a statement, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Not creating me good works, just creating me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Deal with the inward, Lord. Deal with the inward. Fix what is there. And, and I think it's so important. Create in me a clean heart. The, 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 in the, um, that Hebrew word is usually only written in English in only two words created me a clean heart and created me a pure heart. If you have an NIV, it would say created me a pure heart. And it's one of those things, created me a clean heart, created me a pure heart. And so, so what do you want him to create? What in your heart needs to be pure? Do you understand? God looks at the intent. He looks at the heart. And, and David says, oh, created me. I want a clean heart. I want a pure heart. What do you want? What do you want to be clean? What, what do you want him to create? What needs to be cleansed in your heart? What needs to be cleansed of hypocrisy? Here are some things that we can pray for. And, and I want to share with you just a couple of things as we close this out because there are really some things that I think are necessary to pray for to say, I want this part of my heart to be pure. I want this part of my heart to be clean. The first thing, Proverbs 3, 5. You guys know it already. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all my heart, I want to trust in you. I, I want to trust that your word is true. I want to trust what you're revealing in me is true. I don't want to doubt you. I want to simply put my trust in you. And I want to put my trust so much that when you guide me versus me guiding me, when you lead me versus me, like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. It's important to trust with all your heart. I want my heart cleansed. I want my heart pure. How do you do it? I want to trust in you. Make that a prayer. God, help me simply trust that, that, that you are God and I am not. That you know the end from the beginning and I see through a glass dimly. That, that you have all power and all wisdom and all strength and I am nothing. That the only thing that I have to my account is when I come to you and you give me you. And then there's power. Then there's strength. It keeps me humble. But I want to trust in you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then the next thing, after, after he talks about there in, in, in Proverbs 3, 5, there's a passage in Psalm 86. I just want to read it to you. Psalm 86, verse 12 makes this statement. Not only do we trust and that begins to do a change in our heart. The next thing is this, praise. 
Let me read to you Psalm 86, verse 12. It simply makes this statement. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all, your, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. Do you understand that if you really want your heart to say, God, search my heart, then what do you do? I want to glorify. I want to praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I want my heart to be set on you and your goodness in my life. And even if things aren't working well now, what happens? Your words that all things work together for the good. I know that if it's not good now, it's going to be good. Because why? I trust you. I trust that you're good. And I want to praise you. Two things that are going to be fundamental in, in the purity of our hearts. One, trust in him. And two, praise him. Why is that important? Because if you're not praising him, you're not trusting him. Do you understand? Praise out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're trusting him, you're going to say, God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. There has been a work that's going on in my mind and my heart through the prayers of one of the brothers here in the fellowship. Because when we get to a prayer meeting and when he prays, he simply says, God, I thank you. I don't care what's there before him. What's on the prayer list? If it's someone for salvation, God, I want to thank you for this person. If it's something for healing, he says, God, I want to thank you. Every prayer begins with, God, I want to thank you. And I'm like, Lord, let that be my heart. I look to that brother, and I want to imitate him as he's imitating Christ, because Jesus, when he prayed, he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you hear me. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the relationship we have. And I think it's so important. Praise him. Praise him because if you're not praising him, you're not trusting him. And the praise is what? It's just a test. If you're looking at your life and you're praising God, he's like, God, I thank you. I thank you. And, and it's, it's not this, this falseness. Keep in mind when something bad happens, you can grieve and you can be worried, and you can, but you still do what? I trust you. And I'm still praising you because you're worthy to be praised. I don't understand the situation, but I, I can know you. With all these things that I don't know that's going on in my life, fall back on what you do know when he's revealed about himself. He hasn't revealed every path that you're going to take. That's why on Wednesday it was, well, just take the first step. But do this. Trust him. Praise him. I know that you are, are good. I know that you're there. And I'm, I'm, I'm grieving right now. I'm sad right now. But I know that you're good. I know that you have a plan. I did a, a funeral on, on Friday for a dear, dear, dear friend. He was a World War II vet. And as I did the, 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 the funeral, there was something that I, I shared during the message. Is, you know, we don't understand the whys. I don't understand why God would take Lloyd when he took him, but he did. And although we don't understand the whys, fall back on what you do know. He's good. He has a plan. And there was a plan. He didn't want Lloyd to suffer anymore. The cancer that was in his bones and, and he was getting brittle and brittle, and it was just there was no nutrients going out to his blood anymore because every, and he was just weak and he was suffering. God said, "What? You don't have to suffer anymore. Come home to me." And, and although the, the world is going to be a lesser place, heaven's going to be a richer place, and heaven's where it's really at, anyways. And so we we look to this, and I think it's so important. Praise Him. And that's why Psalm 86, verse 12 says, and I love the fact, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. God searches the heart. He knows if you're truly praising him. He knows if in the situations you're there. And then the, the, the last thing is this. It's a passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, 
In Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, there's a focal point that he begins to say through this passage. Let me just simply read it to you. He says in Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, he says, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you understand? All your heart again. What happens is this. Obeying and, and loving the Lord with all your heart translates into one thing. Serve him. In other words, you be God. I'll be a steward. You direct me. And I want to glorify you through what I do. It's just that simple. And it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, there's just these three things. If you forget everything else that I've shared today, just remember these three things. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Praise God with all your heart. And then what? This this last thing. Love him with all your heart. And in the service and the obedience to what he's declared. See, you can say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And you just do your own thing. You're not really loving the Lord. When you say, I love you, then I'm trusting you. I'm praising you. That's first. I trust you. Second, I praise you. And then the outcome is this. I'm going to walk the things that you've said. And this trust and this praise and this love with all of our hearts, this is through through the obedience and service. These traits are the things that begin our walk of intimacy with him. And these same traits are the things that should continue in our walk with him. Well, let me try to clarify what I'm trying to say here. When you learn to trust and to praise and to love him through obedience and, 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 and walking in his commandments and serving him, that's the thing that we all started out doing. There's a passage, I want to read it to you, found in Romans chapter 10. It begins this. This is the very beginning of our walks. In Romans 10, Verses 8 through 10, it makes a statement, but what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. This word is in your heart. It's there where God sees. And it says this, that the word of faith, trusting God with all your heart, the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, Do you understand? There's belief in the heart. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You understand the beginning of our walk of intimacy is this. I'm hearing what you're saying, and it's in my heart. It's now anchored in a place that is intimate, it's anchored in a place that has feeling and emotion, not just intellect, but in my heart. And it's so in my heart that guess what? Out of the abundance of my heart, the mouth speaks. My heart now recognizes your word says you love me. My heart now recognizes your word says that I made a, a way through your weaknesses, through my grace and my love. It's the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's so in my heart, I believe it in my heart, that my mouth now makes confession. Jesus, I know that you died for my sin. Come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. That's the beginning of our walk of intimacy. And when you do that, guess what? Everything in your life changes. Like, oh my goodness, my life is not, it's not religion anymore. It's not just trying to do this. It's a relationship with you. It's intimacy with you. It's intimacy with the Father. And I think it's so important that what begins to happen is this. The very beginning of our walks is trusting, praising, and then loving to the point of service. That's the beginning. But guess what? It doesn't change. You understand that in certain things, there are called fundamentals. Things that never, ever change. 
Like as a Christian, you begin by learning the fundamentals. Prayer, read your Bible. So what do you do when you grow older? Let me help you out. Prayer, read your Bible. So what do we do when you get really mature? Let me help you out here. Prayer, read your Bible. You don't change that. You don't change the fundamentals. When people do sports, they teach the little kids fundamentals, and then they have to teach the professionals fundamentals. Stop doing what you're doing. Get back to the fundamentals. You, you, you don't change those. Those are a constant. And I love the fact that when you continue to walk with the Lord, this is what he says about the, the, the basic fundamentals of trusting, praising, and then, then loving him through obedience and service. In 1 John chapter 3, jot it down, verses 18 through 21, he makes this statement, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Whoa, assure our hearts, confidence in our hearts. And I love what he says here. Let's not love in word or deed or in word and tongue, but indeed in truth, not just speaking it, but in your heart and then let it come out in, in truth and the actions. And then it says this, by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If our hearts condemn us, if we're like, Lord, I, I'm not living up to it. Guess what? God is greater than our hearts. <laughs> I love this. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So if your heart is like, I, I didn't live up to it, God says, I know you didn't live up to it. <laughs> Let's get your heart right. And the way to get your heart right is begin to trust me, begin to praise me, and then begin to walk through the things that I've declared. And then he says this, after he says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. But if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God that whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. I can know that I'm in a right path with God. And it's one of those things that it is not because my heart tells me so, but because when I'm walking with God in intimacy, my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I'm just in the pleasure of God. He's just pleased with me. So when I change that and I walk with that, and that's why I think it's so important, this text that we're looking at, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Are you looking at the facade that you're wanting everybody else to see and you're believing your own press? Or are you really saying, God, search my heart, search my heart. And I, I want my heart to be true. I want my heart to be pure. And, and, and granted, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know that I had to put my Bible aside and pray and pray and repent and repent and say, God, wow. But I can tell you this, if you come to that place, there is so much fresh air on the other side. There is life on the other side. When I got done repenting and praying, it was like, God, this is amazing. I love this feeling now. I'm going to have to do it again in a week, but don't worry. I love this feeling now. I'm here to tell you that if you come to that point, don't, don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at your outward appearance. Don't look at what you want people to see. Go to the heart. Go to the heart and saying, God, I want you to create in me this pure. And the way to create is those three simple things. Trust, praise, and then love through obedience and service. That's it. And, and it's like, Lord, you made it so simple. You made it so simple. And when my heart and my actions failed, guess what? You wanted the intent. I wanted to see this. It didn't happen again. Guess what? Come back to the intent. Try it again. And try it again. And try it again. And guess what? Don't leave the fundamentals. Don't leave it. And, and eventually, you're going to be experiencing a, a greater joy, a greater peace, 
a greater intimacy with God. And isn't that what we all want? Amen. Amen. Father, we're so grateful for this word. So grateful that we're so thankful, Lord, that you do not see as man sees. We simply look at the outward, and, and it's so true. And we want men to look at our outward. And yet you want something real, not a facade. You want truth in the inward man. And, and so we want that truth. We want that kind of thing. And so we want you to create in us a clean heart, creating us a heart that's pure, creating us a, a heart that is, is sincere and, and not one that's a facade. We want to truly have you reveal to us what is in our heart so that we can confess it and repent of it and turn from it and then walk in the newness of this heart as we let you take a hold of it and guide us. We do want to trust you. We do want to praise you. We do want to grow in, in our, our love for you through obedience and service. And, and those are just the, the simplest of steps. And they come in a myriad of different ways with different people. But Lord, they're all the same. So take our hearts into your hand and then mold them and shape them and do what you need to do. And then when it's necessary, Lord, show us where our hearts was and where our hearts are. But also, Lord, through your spirit, show us where, what you're going to do with our hearts as you draw them closer to you, as we become more and more dependent upon you, as we become more and more in love with you. Do the work we ask in Jesus' name and all the saints.